like to just recap the story that Benji read earlier this evening. So Jesus enters into a scene which I imagine looks a lot like a political rally with people from opposing sides shouting over each other trying to be heard. Some wanting to just listen and being shoved around by other people wanting to have their say. In a nutshell, chaos. Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration with three of his disciples where something incredible had happened. Jesus had told his disciples to keep it a secret until he rises from the dead. And I can just imagine the four of them, Jesus, Peter, James and John, walking to meet the other disciples, just acting natural. Nothing to report, nothing special just happened to us. Enough about us, what's going on here? You seem to have a situation going on far more interesting than anything we have to say. We didn't just see Jesus glorified with Elijah and Moses by his side and God the Father speaking from heaven. And when the crowd see Jesus, they rush towards him. And he, nonchalant as you like, says, What are you talking about then? The next voice that is heard, I imagine, is one that has for the most part been drowned out by the scribes who were, as the Bible puts it, disputing with the disciples. No doubt this man heard or saw that the disciples were there and rushed to them for their help with his son. And when they failed to heal the boy, he would have been pushed to the back as other needy and opposing people pushed forward. But, don't look now, but the main man has arrived, Jesus. And given the first opportunity, he says to Jesus, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. All hope is not lost at this point for the father. The disciples couldn't heal his son, but now Jesus was here. Jesus tells the man to bring his son to him, and he does. And the boy in the presence of Jesus immediately starts to have what we might describe as a fit. Just as the father had described. And then Jesus says the most doctory thing I know of him saying. And how long has this been happening to him? From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus responded, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And the boy was healed. This evening I'd like us to focus on that interesting statement that the father makes before Jesus heals his son. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. On first hearing, it sounds like a contradiction in terms. First he says he believes, and then he says he needs help with his unbelief. Well, which is it? Does he believe or not? Well, judging solely on the fact that his son was healed, I would say that he does believe. There are many instances throughout Jesus' life when people came to him for healing, for themselves or for a loved one. In Mark 1, we read about the leper that Jesus healed, who Jesus told to keep quiet about it, but the cleanser shouted about it all over town. In Mark 2, we read of the healing of the paralytic man who was lowered down through the roof to meet with Jesus. 
In Mark 5, we read about the woman with a flow of blood that stopped when she touched the hem of his garment. And in Mark 7, we read about the Gentile woman whose daughter was possessed and begs Jesus to cast the demon out. These are just four examples of Jesus being the great healer. And let's look at them all again a bit closer. Going backwards, we have the Gentile woman. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about it, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying go you away, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out, and her daughter lying on the bed. Now we don't see the words, I believe, on the screen, in this passage of scripture at all. We don't hear Jesus asking the lady if she believes or not, before doing anything to heal her daughter, like he does with the father in our story this evening. The fact of the matter is, he doesn't have to ask, because what she does say is evidence enough for Jesus to see that she believes. He says, for this saying, the demon has gone. In other words, because you've said this, because you've expressed your belief in me, I have healed your daughter. So we can stamp this story as evidence that she believed. Next, we have the woman with a flow of blood in chapter 5. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, and I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This woman didn't even speak to Jesus. She didn't open her mouth. All she did was reach out and touch him, believing that in doing so she would be healed. And she was. Jesus assures her and us that it was her faith that that had made her well. She believed. Mark 2 is one of the most well-known instances of Jesus healing someone. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, 
Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Once again, no words were needed to be spoken for Jesus to know that they believe he is who he says he is, and he is able to do anything. The Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith and the belief in Jesus as Lord that it must take to go through so much effort to get to him. And finally, we have the leper who was healed. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go you away. Show yourself to the priest and offer offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When this leper came to Jesus, he demonstrated his faith and belief in Jesus by saying essentially, I know you can heal me. All I ask is that you will. I think that our story of the father coming to Jesus is similar in lots of ways to these four examples. Like the paralytic and the bleeding woman, he fights through the crowds to get to Jesus. Like the Gentile woman, he was coming to Jesus on behalf of his child. And like the leper and the Gentile woman, he asks Jesus for help, rather than simply coming before him. Why then is this episode different? Why does Jesus want the boy brought to him? Why does Jesus ask him how long the boy has suffered? I've highlighted four instances when people were healed, specifically choosing ones that highlight the fact that these people believed in Jesus. But there are other times when Jesus walked into cities and healed all the sick that were brought to him, or he healed them seemingly no questions asked. The fact remains, however, that Jesus only healed those who had faith in him, only those who believed that he could. This father who came to Jesus about his son obviously believed in Jesus and believed that he could heal his son because, like the other examples, he went out of his way, fought against the crowds and took risks to get to Jesus and ask for healing for his son. I think, though, that Jesus was testing this man's faith. Firstly, by asking the man to bring the boy to him. We've already read this evening an example whereby Jesus healed a child without even looking at them. He didn't really need the father to bring the child to him. When he sees the boy, he asks the father how long this has been going on, as if Jesus couldn't do anything about it if it was so far along. Another example of Jesus' healing is when he heals the man who was blind from birth. 
Space is no obstacle for Jesus, and nor is time. And yet, I get the sense that he's making out like they are obstacles. If someone asks you to do something for them, and you only respond with a question, uh, sorry, if somebody asks you to do something for them, you only respond with a question when you have some sort of limit to your ability to do as you've been asked. Can you heal my son? Can you bring him to me? Can you heal my son? How long has this been going on? I completely understand that these questions would plant little seeds of doubt in the mind of the father, added to to the fact that the disciples had already tried and failed. Let's look again at what the leper said to Jesus and what the father in our story says. Ah, one behind all the time. They both say if, which immediately introduces what is called a conditional clause. I'll give you your pocket money if you clean your room. You won't be on the nice list unless you behave. (laughs) Uh, You'll get a bonus at work if you hit your targets. There's something in the way of you getting your pocket money. There's something in the way of you being put straight on the nice list. There's something in the way of you being handed a bonus, an obstacle, a problem, a conditional clause that has to be met before anything else happens. So what is the obstacle for the leper? Well, if we keep reading, we see that the obstacle, the clause, is that Jesus has to be willing. When the clause is met, then he will be healed. Nothing else is standing in the way. Now let's look at what the Father says to Jesus. Oh, look at that, willing. If you can. The one thing standing in the way of healing for this son is Jesus' ability to do so, or so the Father thinks. And this is where we see the crack showing in this man's belief. He's come from his home, brought his son, foaming at the mouth and falling to the floor without warning, fought through the crowds, asked his followers for help, left disappointed by them, but decides to hang around, sees Jesus and speaks up at the first opportunity, displaying, I think, great faith. But at this moment, we see that whilst he has faith, it is not perfect, unshakable faith. After all the effort he's gone through to get his son to Jesus, When he's there, in that moment, a shred of doubt, a moment of uncertainty and a glimmer of hesitation trickles in and he says, If, if you can, please do. Of course we know, as did this man in his heart, that Jesus' abilities in no way were an obstacle to him healing this boy. Jesus reveals to this man what the real obstacle was at this point in time when he says, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. All that was missing from this transaction was the father's belief. Jesus had the power and was willing, but this man had to believe. Something I'd like to highlight at this point is that Jesus doesn't say, If you can believe, all things are done. He doesn't say that in believing, you can do anything, have anything, say anything. 
he says that anything and everything becomes possible. There is still the conditional clause of Jesus' willingness to address. When doctors say he'll never walk again, if you believe in God, you'll say, if God is willing, he will. When the critics tell you you'll never succeed, if you believe in God, you'll say, if God is willing, I will. When your ex tells you you'll never find someone who wants to marry you, if you believe in God, you'll say, if God is willing, I will. Believing in God does not guarantee you a yes to everything you ask for. What it does do is take the impossible, never going to happen in your dreams when pigs fly and turns it into the possible. Because with God, all things are possible. And the Father replies with our spotlight phrase for this evening. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I was going to speak on something else this evening, and I won't tell you what it is, because I might return to it another time. But in my reading for that, I came across this story and this verse in particular, and I felt compelled to read into it and around the subject. Most of you wouldn't know, but I took the meeting on Christmas Day. And rather than speaking solidly at the end of the service, I split it up throughout the service. And I spoke about an alternative set of 12 days of Christmas gifts that we get from God. And one of those gifts that I mentioned was guidance. And for every gift I mentioned, I supported it with three Bible verses. When I got to guidance, I read the first verse that I had selected. And then I skipped to the next slide, which was this one. Proverbs 16, verse 9. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. But I couldn't read it. I was on the brink of crying my eyes out, and reading it in my head was bringing me closer and closer to the edge. And I knew that if I read it out loud, I'd be gone. So I asked my father to read it out for me. I took a second and read the next verse and said what I had to say about it. Now, I'm obviously an overly emotional person. (laughs) I can't deny that. But I really didn't expect that verse to affect me like it did. And only when I read this story that we are looking at this morning did I realise why. I know what I want for and in my life. I know what I want, and I know that I don't have it. And I know that I seem to be nowhere near having it. I also know that if I was in control... I would have what I want by now. I would be where I want to be by now. I would be who I want to be by now. But I'm not. I'm not in control. And because I'm so confident that I know that what I want and what I need to be happy and content and settled, I can't really understand why I don't already have it. And then I read these verses. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Jeremiah 29, 11 For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And Proverbs 19, verse 21 Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And I could go on. When I didn't read that verse on Christmas Day, and when I read these verses, and verses like them, I realised that I too believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but nonetheless 
need help with my unbelief. I know that God's plans are the best plans for me. I know that God is in control. I know that I shouldn't worry about tomorrow. I know that God's timing is perfect. I know that I should trust that he knows what he's doing and enjoy the ride. But I really struggle to do that sometimes. This father in our story had faith. He believed all that he had heard about Jesus. But when it came to it, When it came to his life and his son and his personal circumstances, the unbelievability of it all planted seeds of doubt. Jesus pushed this man to reveal his status and he immediately declared that he believes but he does need help with his unbelief. He believes but he can't help these niggling feelings of doubt. And I believe that there is nothing God likes to hear more from his children. He knows our hearts and he knows our minds and he knows when doubt trickles down and so to hear a son or daughter say to him Lord I believe, help my unbelief shows him that whilst they are struggling they don't want to they want to have perfect unwavering belief in him and his word the only person who is being hurt by my unbelief when it comes to God and my future and my plans and his plans is me if I could believe what the word says about me, God and my future I would be happy more content and settled all the things that I think I would feel if I had what I wanted so I pray Lord I believe help my unbelief I'm speaking personally at the moment, but I'm sure there are people here who also might experience unbelief in this area, or maybe you face unbelief in other areas of your walk with God. You may be reading and hearing about how God is your peace and comfort, and yet there's flickers of doubt there, and by not believing, you are sacrificing your peace and comfort. You may be hearing and reading that God has chosen to forget every sin you have ever committed. And yet there's a little voice inside you that pours doubt on that. And so you sacrifice the open relationship that you have with God because he's chosen to forget every sin you've ever committed. Should we feel terrible about this unbelief? Should I feel terrible that I sometimes feel this way? Should I be ashamed? Should I question the security of my salvation? I don't think so. After these things, Jesus goes on to mention our little friend, the mustard seed. There it is. Absolutely tiny. Jesus says of this mustard seed that we have faith the size of this tiniest of seeds. We will be able to move mountains. With such little faith, we can do so much with so little Wouldn't we need more, bigger, stronger, steadfast faith to do something as powerful as that? Surely this isn't enough faith. And it comes down to this really. It's not about the size of our faith. And it's not about how unshakable our faith is. It's not about how long we've had our faith. It's not about how strong our faith is. It's all about who our faith is in. Our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So that's my prayer at the moment, that the Lord would help me with my unbelief, 
because it's only making this narrow path even harder to walk. My faith is there. I believe. Like the father in this story, I believe. I have faith. It's just that sometimes I need help with my unbelief. And I believe that he can help me. If you're here in this sermon and you're a born-again believer, but sometimes you need help with your unbelief, then take a moment to ask God to help you with your unbelief. And he's faithful to do so. If you're hearing this sermon and you're not a born-again believer, because as much as you want to believe everything you hear Jesus has done for you, you simply can't, then I'm sure that God's ears are open and eager to hear you crying out to him for help with your unbelief, that you might come to know the truth and be welcomed into his fold and family and spend eternity with him in paradise. Lord, I thank you that I believe. I believe that you are God. I believe that you sent your son to be born in a manger as a human baby boy, to live as a man, experiencing everything that we experience, yet living a perfect, sinless life. I believe that he died there on the cross of Calvary, bearing upon himself the sins of the whole world, paying the price that was mine to pay. I believe that he rose again and is now sitting at your right hand forever interceding for us. I believe. But Lord, when seeds of doubt are planted in my mind and heart, when fear creeps in, Lord, I pray that you would help me with my unbelief. Amen.